This podcast is looking for good deals on great food, but sometimes we need to grab a bite late at night. What are some of your favorite late night happy hours in the KC Metro? Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is UpToDate on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. For Dia Wall, the award-winning anchor at KSHB Channel 41, the time has come to say goodbye. I talk to people for a living, and I've been struggling to find the perfect words to tell you that after almost nine years, I'm leaving Kansas City for one reason, and that's to go home. Yes, Dia is heading home to Texas. Next week, she'll say goodbye to her KSHB viewers and colleagues and prepare for that journey home, where she'll join the team at WFAA. And Dia joins me here today to reflect on her career here in Kansas City. Dia, what a pleasure to have you. And I should thank you for filling in here a time or two and for speaking to my students up at UMKC, too. You've been great about that. Oh, always, always a, a privilege and a pleasure to do so. Well, as a journalist, I know you're prepared for hard-hitting questions, so I'm going to come right out <laughs> with it. You're leaving KC. You're heading to your home state of Texas where you uh, got your start as a Dallas Cowboys reporter You've obviously had to talk about a lot of football since you've moved to Kansas City. So which team has been more fun to cover? Oh, boy. Obviously, <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs, right? I mean, this is Cowboys been... weren't winning like the Chiefs. No, they were not. But I will be a Cowboys fan. I mean, I bleed blue. Everybody knows that it's no secret. But, boy, um, just to be up close and see how the Chiefs, starting even with the Hunt family, have been run. And they really have built this franchise starting 10, 12 years ago with the decision to bring Andy Reid here. Yeah, right. Um, a young, smart, aggressive general manager in Brett Veach. And then, of course, they draft another Texas kid, right? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes. There you go. And the future, I mean, has just really cemented Kansas City as the new dynasty in the NFL. And so, I mean, an honor and a privilege. I know I keep saying that because that's all I can think to say. I mean... Uh, KSHB 41 has been proud to be the partner for the Chiefs for the last four or five years. Yeah. And so we've been able to really cover it in depth, travel, go to the Super Bowls, um, be there and just see all the history they've made. I, I tell people in this town all the time, don't take this for granted. Yeah. Are, are you going to miss the Super Bowl? Yes. So here's the deal. Um, everybody's been asking because obviously I love to cover big events. I love live news. My daughter has a dance competition here in Kansas City. And <laughs> it so, happens. Uh, yeah, true goes, story. There goes the bowl. I'm telling you, life happens. And I told uh, my managers there literally months ago, I'll do whatever you want me to do here in, in Kansas City. And I will be enthusiastic and thrilled to do it. But I cannot travel. I will be full of yeah. eyelashes lipstick, <laughs> rhinestones, and glitter, yeah. making sure she's all good to go. So, How did yeah. you find yourself as a Dallas Cowboys reporter to begin with? So funny story. People here probably know I love sports. Football is my favorite sport. I love basketball, baseball. Um, I just think there's something really cool about the energy of, of sports. Yeah. So when I was an intern in college at TCU, I, I interned in both news and sports. And so I'm from Dallas. When you are a sports intern, you obviously cover the Cowboys in the fall. And then you do other sports in the spring. And so I was an intern. It was 2008. The economy was terrible. 
Y'all think it's bad now. 2008 yeah, was, that was rough. That was really rough. And nobody was leaving small town news. So people who would normally go to tiny markets, get their start and move on after a year or two, they were sticking around. And so there just wasn't a ton of jobs out there when I was trying to apply. And I had a mentor, man, may God rest his soul. Um, his name's Dave Crome. He passed away not too long ago from uh, brain cancer. But um, he put a word in. The Cowboys had floated to some of the sports reporters there for all the local stations. Hey, we're looking for somebody. And he actually said, hey, Dia would be a great fit. And the funny thing about it, and all the young people out there who are listening, the sports director at WFAA also put in a good word for me. Wow. Wow. And at the yeah. time, he was the weekend sports guy there. And everybody asked about me. And they said, hey, she's crazy, but she works hard. Mm-hmm. And the she's Cowboys crazy. ended up bringing me in. And I was able to work there for three seasons. And I remember the day I went in there and said, hey, so y'all know, I've always wanted to cover news. This has been a blast, but it's time to go. And uh, I took a pretty big pay cut at the time, and I wasn't making a lot of money even Uh then. uh And they all wish me well. So much so, I mean, I've still stayed in touch with all the people there. I am actually going to be the featured speaker for their Black Employee Network Black History Month program as soon as I get back. But she's crazy, but she works hard. That could summarize the whole story right there in a (laughs) sentence, right? Why did you want to go into journalism to begin with? You know what? I just feel like, A, my mom's a news junkie. Always has been. Um, I grew up in a household where we had news on in the morning. She watched somebody right after dinner about 6 o'clock. And then if I was still up, we would catch somebody else at 10 o'clock. And she would say, you watch everybody, and then you decide what you believe. I want you all to watch 41 here in Kansas City at all times, but I'm just going to throw that plug out there. Yeah. But um, I love the news. And my favorite news program was 60 Minutes. The story that that changed my life. Still love that show. Still. The story that changed my life was one by Ed Bradley about the boat people. They were coming over on boats illegally. The whole first half of the story they're talking about, there's this huge problem. These people are coming into this country illegally, yada, 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 yada. They laid out the whole case about what a problem illegal immigration was and these people who were coming in on these boats off the coast of Florida. Right. And then mid the midway point in the story, you see Ed Bradley, they take a shot and you see women with infants you see older adults you see these people struggling to get out of these boats and this man walked out there and it still makes me emotional to this day he helped those people get out of that boat ed bradley did ed bradley Mm -hmm. and that went against so many things that i had been taught as a journalist even the whole first half of the story to not get involved in the story to not get involved in the story and i just remember i was like mom mom can he do that is he supposed to be doing that that's illegal i'm asking all these questions at the time i'm like 10 years old And the story essentially wraps up. And I always tell people about that story because that is the job of a journalist. Yeah. It's to give you the facts, right? It's to tell you what the current climate is, what our current situation is. But we're still human beings. But we're human beings. Yeah, exactly. And he brought a certain level of humanity. And I was about nine years old. And that was the day I was like, that's what I want to do with my life. Yeah. So what do you think about the future of journalism? And I struggled with this with my own students at UMKC, but, you know, it ain't what it used to be. You know, readership to the Kansas City Star dipping, local news broadly across the country, that has dropped too. It's dropping in all sorts of platforms. People getting tired of too much negative news. That's become a big issue. What do you think about the future of of our industry? I would be lying if I said... I'm not concerned because right. I am. Sure, we I'm all are. I'm deeply concerned. Yeah. And I think um, when we really consider what our role is, I think at one point in, in this country, people understood that I'm not watching the news to get what I want. I'm watching the news to get what I need. I think as we moved into the 90s, there became the 
more of a reliance or more of a focus on presentation, right? More of a focus on splash. That's where like, if it bleeds, it leads. The Mm -hmm. whole um, catchphrase came from. I don't know in my entire nine years here in Kansas City that 41 has ever been that kind of shop. Mm -hmm. Um, And I respect all the other shops in town too. I don't don't think that that's how we go about our day and, and make our living. The challenge though now has become, it's far more political. Whereas we all previously had some agreed upon terms, which is, it's not my job to like any of y'all, politicians that is. It's not my job to make public officials look rosy. I am here to hold these people accountable Mm -hmm. on your behalf. Right. Because our power as journalists forces these folks to talk to us in a way in which the average citizen can't always count on. Um, And also it's our job to inform you about the things that are happening in your community. So what makes me nervous is when I meet particularly young folks and honestly, increasingly more older people who are relying on TikTok. And I always say people joke that once a TikTok gets to Twitter, it's already two weeks late. Well, once news makes it to TikTok, it's months old. Yeah. So there's very little that we can do about it. Right. So I do have concerns. And I think for me, what I always tell people you're never going to see me or Kevin Holmes or Chris Ketz or Lara. You're not, you're not going to see us on TV saying Joe Biden sucks mm-hmm. or Trump is great. That's not my role. My role is to tell you what's happening in this community and how it's going to affect you. And I think we have to discipline ourselves again because we're in an environment where not only our news, but our social media feeds, everything is under an algorithm and it's designed to keep you engaged but it's not designed to give you the best and most balanced information. Well, I don't know how well it's keeping people engaged because, as I said, a lot of polls showing that a lot of Americans are saying, you know, keep the bad news away from me. You're, you're swamping me with it. Sometimes I watch the evening national news, not so much local news, but national news. I listen to Lester Holt uh, yeah. of NBC for 10 minutes. And I'm like, am I going to be able to wake up tomorrow morning because the world's going to implode between now and then? It's that bad. I think there has to be a renegotiation of terms when it comes to a, the diet. I don't disagree with you. Right. I think people have less of a tolerance appointment news has gone the way of the dinosaur for a lot of folks. And so I think that there's still some good signs. If there are any millennials are polling, we like more podcasts. We like more long form news, even public radio. These things are beloved by people in my generation. I'm a geriatric millennial. I'm not too young. I don't want y'all out here. (laughs) But to that point, people love journalism. They just don't always go and digest it the way that it's being packaged in 2024. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to renegotiate how we're delivering the news. Yeah. And then also we have to take the feedback. We have to take the feedback. We can't continue to tell you there have been 170 homicides in your city, but then not offer you ways to get engaged and make a difference, not offer you some semblance of hope on the back end. We'll be right back. KSHB anchor Dia Wall is my guest. She's pulling up state. She's moving to Texas in just a couple of weeks. You know, it's not lost on me that being a woman in news and being a person of color comes with its own set of challenges. How has that shaped your career? How has it affected your career? I always tell people, Um, I am a proud black woman. I don't feel like I have to equivocate about that. And I think that it, it always operates in the background, right? Um, it's foundational to who I am. I remember the first time I saw an anchor in my hometown who looked like me on TV and that just does something to you, your confidence. I feel like when you see something 
in front of you, it's aspirational in a way. Yeah. So for me, um, I always feel like it's a responsibility for me to take those voices and those perspectives into account. That doesn't mean that every story I cover is going to be about or affect black women. But what it does mean when you see me, it will be very obvious who I am, what my background is and what I represent. Yeah. And for me, that's always equity. For me, that's always not shying away from who I am because I think prior, prior generations, assimilation was, was the common word, right? Black women had to straighten their hair. Um, you don't you were, straighten your hair. Nah, mm -mm, it's been a long Tell time. Tell me about that. Your station obviously supports that. In the beginning, it was hard. Uh, I got turned down for about three or four jobs when I was leaving the Cowboys trying to get my start in news. Because you were going natural with your hair? Yep. I had cut it really short to cut off all the relaxed hair. For black women, you chemically straighten your hair. Yeah. It doesn't, you don't get your natural curls back. And I remember I had two or three news directors who looked me in the face. We think you're talented, but we need you to straighten your hair. And I said, no, thank you. Really? I'll wait it out. And so, so you walked away from good jobs because of your hair. It can't see for me, it couldn't have been a good job if you wanted me to change something that was so foundational to who I was. I mm -hmm. felt very strongly about showing up as my full self. And then as that I was kind of a, a radical idea at that time, because yeah. people of color weren't allowed to be their natural selves. And to be fair, I mean, I have friends who are Eastern European, German, who have Curly hair or friends who are Jewish who yeah. have curly hair. And now all of us, I mean, I have friends who are white with curly hair who still were told, hey, you need to straighten it because that wasn't necessarily the standard as yeah. we knew it back then. But since then, everybody's been receptive, man. I haven't had a single problem. I think starting is always the hardest part. Hey, how, how do viewers react to it? They love it. I can't tell you. I probably get That's two great. or three That's emails great. a week, even now. It could be grandparents with grandkids. But no blowback? Nah. Mm -mm. That's amazing. Now, occasionally when I wear it straight, people will say, oh, I like it more. You're entitled to. Yeah. That's fine. But it's going back. <laughs> Men getting, Kevin Holmes isn't getting that kind of feedback, though, is he? No, except hair? for me. I hate when he grows his hair out. I wish he would keep it short. I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> well, I want to talk, talk about one story you talked about on the evening news that really led to something uh, so much bigger. Let's listen here. The man who took off his pants at an airport and drove across the tarmac explaining his actions today. On a Chicago-bound flight, Orlando police say Richard Hope, <laughs> I'm sorry, sat in an unassigned seat, then claimed to be a pilot. Now, after the crew removed him from the plane, Hope got onto a service elevator, took off his pants, and eventually hopped into an airport luggage vehicle. He told the driver he had a flight to catch. I'm sorry, y'all. Firefighters later subdued him. Do you have anything you want to say about this incident? I mean, it, it, don't do crystal meth. What's is, is that? that is it a drug-related thing? Don't do crystal meth. Oh my gosh! <laughs> that was the first time you and Kevin Holmes co-anchored together, and you totally lost it on air. But someone must have seen something in the two of you because you became it been an amazing team for four years now. Tell me about that relationship. <laughs> you know, Kevin is one of a kind, man. I... <laughs> yes, he is. I can honestly tell you, we were filling in because it was Christmas. He had started like two months earlier and he laughed first. I just want to make sure y'all get that on the record. He laughed first and then I just lost it. I mean, sometimes you meet people and it's just like peanut butter and jelly. And I, I kid you not, we challenge each other. We fight like siblings. We don't always see stories the same way. Right. Uh, 
but we both have a strong voice and a strong center on why we believe we're there. You know, one thing that strikes me about the two of you on air is you really seem to be yourselves. The station gives you leeway to be Dia and to be Kevin and or Caitlin at, at times. It just strikes me that that's unusual in this world, isn't it? I mean, in the we're world blessed. of local TV. We're so blessed, man. Uh, no secret this business sometimes can come with a lot of egos. And I can tell you, everyone that I have worked with at 41, we just want to do the best job we can. But just can. the notion the station lets you be yourself as an anchor. You, you don't have yeah. to stay professional, yeah. locked in place, can't move your head very quickly. I mean, it's you're yourself. I think they value that. And I think it, it resonates more with viewers, right? I'm always surprised when I meet people out in the community and they're like, or me and Kevin will MC events and they're like, oh my gosh, y'all are just like you are on TV. Yeah, And right. for me, that matters. I want I want people to recognize that your local news and the people who give it to you are approachable. We're just like you. My favorite line to tell people, Steve, is always like, I pay the same taxes you pay. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> my kids going to the same schools your kids are yeah, going to. Yeah. Um, and I, I want them to know that and feel that. Kevin, it's just so funny, man. I I wish I could tell people there was some sort of exercise we did or something that but from the very minute it just worked. We sat together on a desk. I just I can tell what he's thinking. He can tell what I'm thinking. I, I trust him implicitly. I mean, we've just been a dream team. Well, there's something else noteworthy about you two. The obvious thing, you're both African-American. And that's a little unusual, too, to have two black anchors in a local TV market. Well, unless you're in a predominantly black community, right? Like Atlanta that, or okay. Charlotte. I mean, there are some places across the country where that's normal. But Kevin and I were the first in Kansas City. And I, I have to applaud, I really do have to applaud our management team, Kathleen and Matt, because at the time, you know, when I was on the fence about whether or not I was going to apply for the job, Cynthia Newsom calls me into an edit bay. A lot of you know Cynthia. Yeah, um, sure. And She's still down there, yeah. She's still our community relations director. And she said, Dia, you have to apply. You have to go for it because I, I, I really didn't have that opportunity. And I'm like, man. So I apply for the job and it was no secret to me what it would mean for them to name me the evening anchor because Kevin had already been named yeah. the evening anchor. And so um, I think I probably had more nerves about that aspect. You want to be a good representation. Um, I always want us to be a source of pride, particularly for the black community, for our entire community. Yes. But if, there's just something really special about communities like the ones we grew up in, getting to see us the same way we as kids saw anchors that we love. Has Kansas City's black community embraced this? A hundred percent. I think people would be surprised, though. I mean, Johnson County, 41 does really, really That's well. That's where your your best viewership is. Our best viewership. You were, Kevin told me that County. once, you have more viewers in Johnson County than yes. you do in the city. Yeah, we do. And I, I, But I think that speaks to relatability. I think that we as human beings are able to see, and let's be clear, I see color. We all do. <laughs> Let me make sure I get that on the record. Of course. But I, I do think we are able to see that we are black people, we're black journalists, and so much more at the same time. You know, we asked Kevin if there were any deism things oh, that he would describe, how he would describe you. And he talked about your brother-sister-like relationship that you've mentioned here. At times, you guys bicker. <laughs> you, know, you know, someone else has to come out on top and someone has to be right. Let's listen to Kevin talking about you. There's a book that says a uh, list of things I was right about. And Dia let her tell that she's right about things 135% of the time, where it's more like probably 75. But uh, 135% of the time, Dia Wall thinks she's right about something. And I got her a little notebook that says on the cover, 
things I was right about. So I give her that book. I gift it to her just randomly because I saw it. It reminded me of her. And we would have arguments, disagreements, or 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 things where we just didn't see eye to eye. And sometimes she would come back and she would be correct. I'll give her her credit. And she would insist that I write inside that book I got her. I was right about this. Why didn't you write this in here? And and so on and so forth. So that yeah, that's a little monster I created. That's a deism. I was right. That, that, that is the epitome of deal. Well, who doesn't like to be right, though, right? See, here's the deal. He is telling the absolute truth. You know, I think it's healthy. And see, this is where I think, going back to our original point, we've lost the ability to disagree and leave the table as friends. Mm-hmm. And I think social media removes uh-huh. the laugh and the twinkle in your eye, right? It removes the, we always joke, like, there have been times in the newsroom, me and Kevin have heated debates about everything from NIL to, I mean, how we're covering a story right. to, I mean, we, and I think that that is important because you can bring passion, you can have strong belief, you can have strong conviction. And the person across from you, no matter how much you love them, respect them, you can disagree. And I think people need to see that because I think it's healthy and it's how we get to the best outcome. Let's get a little more into your work because you you did a terrific special on the race riots of 68 uh, here in town after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. It's something that Kevin Holmes has described as some of your most brilliant work. It aired on PBS in 2018. Let's listen to a short clip of it. If you knew in 1968 what you know now about that riot when they called you out of this church what would you have told those kids let's go to see y'all <laughs> what started as a story about a student protest became the story of kansas city and really our nation one group blind to the needs of another and chaos because of it 50 years later we're having the same debates and the same problems in our communities It's been over 18,000 days since April 9th, 1968. Let's not waste one more, allowing our differences to divide us. I'm Dia Walt. Thanks to Kansas City Public Television for collaborating with us on this project, as well as the UMKC LaBuddy Collection and the Kansas City Public Library. And thank you for watching 68, the Kansas City race riots then and now. Why was that project so important to you? You know, I think it's so easy to have recency bias and think that what we're going through as a community or as a country is new. It's never happened before. It's never happened before. Right, absolutely. Um, Got to shout out Steve Killer Kout, uh, our assignment manager. Love Killer, by the way. We were first just, guy I met at the Kansas City Star, old buddy of mine. Phenomenal. Well, we he's were a just, phenomenal guy. We were just randomly talking, and I said, wait, there were race riots in Kansas City? My mom's a retired history teacher, so I get to dig it in. you know. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. We should do we should do something about this. So go to the managers, say, hey, I want to do a half hour. And they're like, wait, what? At the time, I was a weekend anchor. This isn't really normal um, in local newsrooms. And I call my buddy Nick Haynes over at right. P- KCPT. And I was like, would you guys want to partner with us? And they gave me the time. I worked with some incredible photographers. Um, and we put it together. And I, one of the proudest moments for me, the library was on board. They hosted a screening for us. And I'll never forget, they called me like two days before. And I'm like, uh-oh. Nobody registered. It was free, by the way. And I was terrified. Nobody would show up to watch. And I'll never forget the phone call when they said, so Dia, we have a problem. We're at like 600 registered. So we're going to have to open up overflow. Oh, boy. And I just remember walking into that room and all of our team from 41 was there and everybody's lined up. I mean, it was packed in there and the energy was so frenetic. And then they start rolling journalism, like my work. And I just remember we played like a eight minute segment. And people stood up 
and share. We got a standing ovation no for journalism. And I just... Doesn't happen often enough sometimes. Man. You obviously weren't there to cover those riots, but just a few years after that uh, that piece, you did find yourself facing race-related protests after the killing of George Floyd, and these happened here in Kansas City. You described that to our producer, Elizabeth Ruiz, as one of those moments in Kansas City news you'll never forget. Tell us why. Because I think occasionally you know that history is being made and that something is shifting in the moment. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you look back at moments in your life, but that was something different. We were in the middle of COVID. Everybody was stuck at home. This had happened multiple times in this country before, but we didn't have anywhere else to look. Yeah. No live sports, no activities. Everybody's in their house and we're all watching this and experiencing this at the same time. And for me, I think that's why it was so potent and so powerful. Not that what happened was not egregious. Right. But I think that when we are collectively as a country focused and all looking in the same direction, it can be hard to deny right from wrong. Yeah. And just being out there, I think connecting with so many different people, um, really understanding law enforcement that were downtrodden. People yeah. had nothing to do with this. People who wanted to make a difference in the community and then just talking to parents, parents of, of black boys in particular. Yeah. Um, I could really see them and hear them and feel them in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to 10 years before that. Yeah. And so that was one of the those moments that'll stay with me forever. You know, I could go a whole lot longer with Dia Wall of KSHB, who's pulling up and moving down to Texas. And here's wishing you all the best. And you've had an impact here. Thank you, Steve. A lot of us going to miss you. Thank you, Kansas All the City. best to you. you I bet. appreciate every single one of you. You bet. Again, Dia Wall of KSHB 41. We had a clip here of WFAA learning what they were actually going to get. A, a gem, a personality that I don't know if you can fit in the size of the state of Texas. Someone who cares, someone who's compassionate, someone who is who shows empathy to the utmost, and someone who is just a down-home girl who, after five minutes with her, you will feel like you're the most important person in the room. You'll feel like you have gained a family member in Dia Wall. I'm going to try not to cry. Um, Dia teases me. She's such a hard and uh, it is going to be tough to, to hold back the tears because um, while I am so proud of her achievements and her leaving, I really feel like I'm losing my sister. Up to date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Our intern is Lauren Texter. Paul Nakatura works our board. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.